Blog Talk Radio. Block Talk Radio Nation, you are tuned into the 411 Lounge. I am LeVar, and I would have to say that if I had a definitive list of guests that I would love to have on this show, even though I love every guest that comes on here, this young lady is one that is at the tip top of my list, and I just did not know how I could get in touch with her, how I could make this work. And then finally last year, I had a chance to run into her at Exotica here in Chicago. And if you have not seen my guest out and about, uh, you are definitely missing out because she is a true legend in the adult entertainment industry. You know, there's so many titles that you could put to her, whether it is a teacher, a pioneer, or a feminist, or entertainer, as she has uh, so prominently there, either on her page or what other people have called her. I just cannot say enough, and I so thank her for taking the time to stop by here today. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the sexy and the beautiful Nina Hartley. Nina, how are you? I am fine. After an introduction like that, I'd better, I'd better step up. <laughs> no, no, just you being here. That that introduction was nothing. Just you being here alone is huge. And like I said, I well, can't. I love, I love talking. I like talking about sex. I like talking about sex, sexuality, sexual politics, sexual expression and how everyone can work their own magic to make their own sexual lives as happy and healthy as possible. And everyone can do this. I am not special. I've just been doing it longer. Anybody can do this. Not porn, you know, but... Um, and it, <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say that because there's so many things that you talk about in which you teach us, and we'll get into that as the show goes on, but... Why do you think still, when it comes to talking sex, it's still kind of seen as a taboo subject here in the U.S.? I'm not sure how it is over at other countries, but why is it still such a taboo thing or things people want to keep behind, under covers or behind closed doors here? Well, people study all the way to Ph.D. level to work on this. Uh, in a nutshell, it is the after the residuals of uh, 2,000 years of a – uh, in the Western culture, at least, of uh, a uh, patriarchal um, father god who really values female chastity and female purity, air quotes around those words. So we're fighting 2,000 years or more of a culture that denigrates sex in general and female sexuality in particular and either infantilizes it, demonizes it, or um, ignores it altogether. So, of course, the fact of people's bodies is the fact of people's bodies. So I may be taught as a woman that I don't get to have A, B, and C, but my body may tell me otherwise. And so how do we how do we go from what we've been taught to think and feel and believe about sex to having the ability to create for ourselves in real time a sexual life that is 
happy, healthy, wholesome, and um, and uh, affirming. Okay, now I didn't realize I was so close to noise-making machines. Okay, I'm going to walk <laughs> away from that air compressor no, a, and and then go over here where it's quieter. Okay, fine. That's, that's, so, that's okay. So, you know, why, why, why is it still so hard to talk about sex? Because for 2,000 years, it's been very dangerous to talk about sex and very hard to talk about it. And we only have, you know, 60 years of the most recent feminist revolution. And so 60 years um, is not enough to outweigh 2,000 years. It just can't, the weight's not there. Even with social media and with the way things can communicate these days, we have a lot of entrenched ideas about sex and sexuality. And all of the laws in this country around sex and sexuality are based on the idea that sex is dangerous and women are potential victims and men are the big bad voodoo man. I mean, it's, um, it is a very difficult, it's a very difficult um, culture to, to overcome. Um, I'm lucky that there's always been some outliers. Victoria, people who want to know more about this should look into the life of Victoria Woodhull, W-O-O-D-H-U-L-L. I'm on the board of the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Foundation. But Victoria Woodhull was an early suffragette. She was the first woman to run for president in the United States in the 1870s. And she was the first woman to have a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. And she was an advocate of the single standard and free love. So in those days, of course, it was really not a good idea to be that outspoken. People who are listening may have heard about the Comstock laws or Anthony Comstock as a stand-in for super-duper conservative sexual purity kind of guy. I guess Anthony Comstock was the... um, Pat Robertson of his day, and so she ran, she ran a foul of him and ended up in jail and forgotten by the feminist movement. But she was a true radical. She believed that only uh, women should only have babies that they wanted. She believed that women should be able to have the sexual freedom that men have, and so that idea was as radical then and got her in trouble then. It's equally as radical now, although not quite as legally dangerous as it used to be. But still a very radical idea that I, a woman, have complete control over my body. And for women, of course, that I believe that we should have control over our fertility and access to birth control and abortion services. We should have control over whether or not we trade sexual labor versus intellectual labor versus physical labor. And we should have the right to engage in a sexual life that, that suits us and is an expression of our values and beliefs. That's a long way to come in this country on any kind of social level because all the laws around sex commerce are draconian. The laws around sexual um, freedom are limited, and laws surrounding abortion are ever more increasing. Um, And so the idea that women should have ownership of their bodies is still super scary, and it's going to be for a while, I think, until all the boomers are dead. Um, I think that might be enough. The younger generation, under 30s, are very, as a general rule, a little more open to alternative sexualities, a little more open to um, sexual freedom, and maybe by the time they're of lawmaking age, some sanity will have been restored to the, the political system in this country, but I sometimes have my doubts. Now, you mentioned a word in there that pretty much has popped up here a lot in the news over the last couple of weeks, and that's feminism. And I think in light because of uh, Patricia Arquette's speech at the Oscars about equal pay. And a lot of people still seem to be scared of that word. Why do you think that's so? And when do you think we will pretty much get past probably, I guess, having to use that instead of just saying equal rights or, you know, rights for women here? I mean, I guess Um, a lot of people... 
Well, that is another, people, again, other doctoral dissertations have been um, written on this very subject as well. So for me, feminism is about equal opportunity uh, regardless of gender. And the Equal Rights Amendment um, was crushed by the uh, religious right back in 1980. It was very close to being ratified um, uh, for the, uh, the Constitution, but the, the right wing did harness people's hysteria over what that would mean for gender roles and gender assignment, and they pretty much kiboshed it. Now we're, we'll never have an Equal Rights Amendment in my lifetime because the, um, the right wing revolution that's been really growing steadily ever since Nixon was ousted and uh, was really put into motion strongly when Reagan was uh, elected, um, they have really gotten their hands very deep into the political machines. I don't know if we'll never have an Equal Rights Amendment, I do not believe, in this, in this, in this lifetime or even this century. So feminism is scary because it means a change in gender roles and people, people who benefit from the way gender roles are now don't like change. Um, and that's why one of the one of the jokes in the seventies was why aren't there any pretty feminists? That's why Gloria Steinem was such a huge shock to the to the cultural system because here was a good looking woman who was espousing equal pace for equal work, et cetera. For what I part ways with traditional feminists, of course, is my is my understanding of sexual labor and um sexual autonomy as going not just not just for um, birth control and abortion rights and equal pay for equal work and um, all that, but I also believe that my body autonomy extends to the right of, for me or any individual woman to self-sexual services. So the modern feminist movement um, in the 80s really split down the middle between uh, pro-censorship and anti-censorship factions. And so for every feminist who says today or believes that, you know, pornography can be empowering and sex work should be decriminalized, another feminist, I self-identified feminist who says, no, no, it's all a patriarchal plot to keep women uh, subjugated and that we should not, you know, don't fall for it, ladies. And on the other hand, there's, there's this new, a new movement, uh, MRA, Men's Rights Activists, and they, they're pretty hateful um, because they're for them, you know, these are very often white men, and they are the ones who have most to lose if the, moder- if the current system continues to change and evolve. The so-called cisgendered heterosexual white man is uh, the one who st- has the most to lose because he's the one who had currently, as a general rule, gains the most from the current system. Um, although plenty of white men will never be the patriarchy, plenty of white men will never have positions of authority or power, it's still, you know, the country is going to be uh, only 50% Caucasian by 2050, but the Congress is still 98% white men or 95% white men. So the, the, the politics always lags behind the population because of the entrenched power structure that has been put in place by the generations that precede it. Um, and so anyone who tries to say that America is a classless society, of course, is blowing smoke out there behind. So people are scared of feminism because it means that women – that they have to pay women the same rate. It means that we have to treat women's issues, air quotes around the women's issues, as human issues. So why is the issue of childcare always a woman's issue? The idea it shouldn't be maternity leave, it should be family leave. It should be, you know, finally some companies are getting this paternity leave uh, for men as well. But men, you know, it's still true in a lot of places that men who request time off for family um, lose status at work, and that's, that's the difficult thing to handle. And so it's, when we live in a time of changing role structure, it's very hard to find your footing. It's very easy to point the finger at what seems to be the problem. It's all them women. 
all them women wanting out of the kitchen, all them women wanting my job, as opposed to, for me, feminism was about breaking the, the, the boxes for both genders. So, uh, so the, the female box, the, the gender female box, was oppressive in a certain way. So the oppressors, each gender always had advantages and disadvantages depending on the situation. And something in modern study called inter- intersectionality. So when I intersect the legal system as a cisgendered, middle-class, middle-aged white female, um, I do pretty well. But when I intersect the legal system as a sex worker, then I am disadvantaged because sex workers in our culture are disadvantaged when it comes to interacting with the legal system. So if I, so every, every, every person is advantaged on some axes and disadvantaged on other axes, and that goes, that's true for male people and female people. And feminism is scary because it means that I, a woman, demand the right to own my own body and my own behavior. But that also frees men up to step out of their gender normative boxes and try to find a more holistic and authentic way to express themselves in the world, to be in the world. Case in point, my father's parents, um, uh, my father was born in 1915, so we're talking about people who were born in the 1870s, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so my grandfather, temperamentally, if things had been equal then and not the 1915 America, my father's mother would have got into business with her father because she was business-oriented, a go-getter, a hard charger, strong, just a person needed to be in business. And my father's father was a sweet, gentle, kind, quiet man who would have been a great homemaker. But the times being what they were, he was forced to go work with his father-in-law, and he had no aptitude for business. And my grandmother was forced to run the household, and she really, honestly, had a head for business. So if things had been, if people had been able to seek their own level without worrying about what would the neighbors think, it cannot be done. It's against the laws of nature. It's against the laws of God. My <laughs> grandfather would have been a happy house husband who was kind and loving, and my grandmother could have been a proud breadwinner doing something she loved and was good at, working with her father. So we see how gender roles um, really do. When, when the gender assignment does, does not match the individual aptitude, you get conflict and all the way from suicide to murder to depression to, to whatever. So feminism is good for everybody. Equal rights are good for everybody because it lets each person hopefully seek their own level in the love and life and business and I get to do do what I'm good at. You get to do what you're good at. You and I, if we have a relationship, we can negotiate what it is we're about as opposed to, well, you're the man. You take care of the outside of the house, and I'm the woman, so I'll take care of the inside of the house. And you're the man. He'll take care of the financial things, and I'm the woman, so I'll take care of the emotional things. So you'll outsource your emotional work to me, and I'll outsource my financial support to you, and we'll call it a marriage. And for some people, that works just fine. Because when, when our gender roles match up with our aptitude, then the system seems to work okay. And it's when it doesn't that people have problems with it. And then those problems manifest differently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and some of those things I'm sure you've mentioned while you've been out here on the lecture circuit uh, over the last few years. What type of response are you getting back from the audiences? Is it something that they are truly in agreement with, or do you get some people who come to you and be like, you know what, I disagree because if this would have happened, blah, 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 blah. Do you find it? Um, uh, well, most of, most of the audiences I speak to are people who want to hear my message. 
so um, for, for them, I act as a beacon of sanity and a beacon of, of hope that they, too, can figure out their way through the, through the wilds. When I think about sex, air quotes around the word sex, and sex, for me, is not a euphemism for intercourse. So when most people think of the word, think of sex, they think of what is now called PIV intercourse, penis in vagina intercourse, a.k.a. the real thing, a.k.a. sex. For me, as a queer person, sex, air quotes around the word sex, sex means whatever I decide it means that day and the people that I'm doing it with. So sometimes sex, air quotes, might mean a hard makeout session with some heavy petting, or it might mean a hand job, or it might mean oral sex, or it might mean spanking, or it might mean helping you have, have intercourse with your partner. So when we, when we get away from the idea that sex is something that men do to women or that men get out of women, um, and that women derive no, be- no pleasure from independent of how it pleases their partner, and when sex becomes whatever we decide that it is today, then everybody can have a happy sex life because you know, when sex is no longer only about intercourse but it's about pleasure and intimacy and creating a safe space and having fun and laughing and feeling good, then, well, then sex is all kinds of things. And, and none of it has to be dangerous. None of it, so we can have all the sex we want without harming ourselves, without harming others, when we can let go of the fact that sex has to be a certain thing. If I don't, if I don't, get, my, if I don't get my body part into some part of their body, I didn't have sex. And that person is a meanie for not giving me sex. What? Um, so, so people, when I talk to them, are usually quite open to my message because they're looking for a different way to think about sexuality. And here is someone in myself who's been doing it for 30 years and thinking about it now for 45 years, and I, I'm here to help people, and I'm here to help each person find their best place. You don't have to do what I do to be happy in life because I'm weird. I get it. I'm totally, I'm an outlier. I'm a Delta three. I'm a, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, um, the part of the, the population that cannot be, you know, um, looking for the word. The word is, no one's going to know what I'm going to do. But, you know, if, so people are, in the aggregate, people are, um, you can uh, predict what people are going to do in the aggregate. You cannot predict what an individual person will do. And that's where the plus or minus, the percentage points, you know, this poll accurate to plus or minus three points. Um, and it's always going to be plus or minus three points because, and that, that, that plus or minus three points is delta three, meaning this, we're just a little weird. We're so weird we don't fit into any particular thing. So I'm out there doing a lot of work so people who have more traditional life, more traditional beliefs, more traditional desires, more traditional boundaries can benefit from my exploration and take what I know and apply it to their own lives in their own way. So when people say, wow, Nina, you're so great, I could never be like you, anybody could be like me. Because if you are, quote, unquote, like Nina, you, that means that you, the individual, are, are making sure that the sex you have suits your values and your beliefs and does not hurt yourself, doesn't hurt other people, that it is serving the purpose that you need sexuality to fit in your life, and that is a source of pleasure and happiness, joy, and intimacy for you. I don't know what that looks like for you because you're not me. But if people look at my life and go, wow, that's so cool what she does. I wish I could do that. Anybody can do that if they dare to, to look inside of themselves and make their own peace with their sexual nature and then decide how am I going to express this. People are aware of me because I have to be a professional exhibitionist, but there are lots of people 
who are not perpetual exhibitionists who have very happy sex lives and who really get down with their bad selves in relationship or alone because they have discovered and and live up to their own sexual values and beliefs in a way that works for them. Uh, so the first the first prime directive is do not use sex to harm self or others. That is really important. And that means a person has to be celibate for a while while they figure out WTF, then they should be celibate for a while and figure out WTF. Um, no one ever died from lack of sex. <laughs> um, they may have gone crazy now, but so so if I am going crazy from frustration, but I think masturbation is a bad, evil sin, I need to look at that, where that idea that masturbation is a bad, evil sin, and why can't I do it, and then go back and untangle that ball of yarn, because the body wants what it wants, the physical body wants what it wants, likes what it likes, and the stress in people's lives comes from comes when what the body wants and desires by way of behavior, partner, situation, or um, attitude is in conflict with what the organism has been taught to believe about those things. So I was not raised to believe that bisexuality was a sin or mental illness. And so I was very, I've was always been comfortable with being bisexual. I've always been comfortable with being an exhibitionist. Oh, that's a long word. I've always, always been comfortable with being a voyeur. Oh, French. Um, because I I got a hold of those words early enough um, in in a non uh, in in a non I look for the word judgmental context I recognized oh these are labels that apply to me so because I wasn't I wasn't traumatized with the idea of heaven or hell or sin or damnation I never had to go through oh my gosh what's wrong with me I like girls and boys instead it was a feminist notion of well just make sure that you're safe and get agreement from the people that you do this with and you're okay so. Each of us has to untangle our own conflict between what and who we want sexually and our belief system about that. And the belief system is 100% cultural, it's 100% taught, and can be unlearned if a person is motivated to. I was motivated because my sexuality is really outside the box. And if I've been heterosexual and or monogamous and or vanilla, I might not ever have been motivated to really look deeply into this because if, as someone who would have considered herself a a.k.a. normal, I would have felt a need to investigate deeply. But I'm not a.k.a. normal. I'm an alt. I'm a, uh, in the GLBT pantheon. I'm a B and a Q. GLBTQ. I'm a, I consider myself a bisexual person. I identify as queer. Um, I am a female-bodied person. My preferred pronouns are she and her. You know, I like being female. I never had any trouble with that. But uh, a lot of my sexual attitudes are very male, i.e. I don't need to be in relationship to enjoy sex. I don't need to be in love to enjoy sex. I don't need to be a mother to enjoy sex. Um, I enjoy sex on its own terms. And that makes me, in the eyes of some people, very masculine. But I, I love helping people. I like making people feel good. I like caring for other people. I like creating a nice, safe space for people. That makes me nurturing and very, quote-unquote, female. So each person is going to interact with sexuality differently because they're not all the same. Oh, my gosh, they're not all the same. Wait, stop. Um, and so but anybody can do this work. Anybody can do it because you have a body, you have genitals, you like pleasure. And so the real transformation comes when each individual person chooses to reorient their own relationship to physical pleasure. And you do that when you're alone with no phone, no computer, nobody to bother you, and it's you and your body alone in a room. And until each person can get to a place where they are okay with that, 
I'm okay being alone with myself in a room. I don't need to be drunk. I don't need to be high. And I don't need to be, I need to be here with myself and figure out what do I like anyway. And that work is free. It's portable. You can do it a minute at a time, an hour at a time, two minutes. I mean, you can do it sitting in traffic. Then you're doing your Kegels. Anything that helps us into our bodies and into our genitals, into pleasure, is healing and helpful. And that can be done without anybody else. So this is, this is work that we need to do alone because until I know what it is I like, I cannot tell you, my lover, how to please me. And if you're my lover, you want to please me. So it behooves both of us. If I can, if you know what you pleases you, and you can share that with me, and I know it pleases me, and I can share that with you, the odds of our having a pleasant time together are vastly increased, and the odds of people having their feelings hurt are vastly decreased. What a concept! Oh my goodness, that's amazing. So, that's so, so this simple, is work, and anybody can do this. Anybody, anybody, they can start tonight, because everybody with a body can do this work, unless you have a, you know, 100% spinal cord you know, um, injury, your your naughty bits will work and they will generate nerve impulses that go to your pleasure centers of your brain. And then, unfortunately, when your pleasure centers of your brain get tickled, then all your conditioning judgment comes in. And then you get to look at it. You can stir it up just enough to look at. You always have to stir the pot. And so you can, so your insides can come up to the surface because most of us repress these things. We keep them out. We block them out. We sit on them. We stuff them. But, Energy is hydraulic. If I stuff my pleasure, my sex energy, it's going to come out as anger, antagonism, eating, drinking, whatever, whatever the energy comes out as. So it should come out as pleasure because that is a lovely healing balm that can fit through the rest of our lives. Um, and it's always available to us. It's all we can generate more just by being alive. A little bit of friction on the genitals tickles the nerves and makes a happy juice go. And it's, and it's, it's amazing how it is a self-regulating and self-regenerating pleasure cycle um, that humans have been endowed with. So, you know, go Mother Nature. Woo! <laughs> it's so much, um, you know, so much I've learned, whether it's from your videos, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes here. And, of course, if you're just tuning in you're listening to the 411 Lounge, my guest is a true legend, Nina Hartley. There's a lot of things here i got to cover. And, of course, we're going to talk about uh, your life in front of the cameras here, because I want to touch on a couple of questions I did have. But before I go forward, I just want to say a happy belated birthday. I know you had a birthday here uh, recently. Well, thank you. And yes, then, last, last a week ago. When, a week ago, today's Wednesday, today's Thursday. A week ago, Wednesday, on the 11th of March. And, and then you have an anniversary coming up here on March 22nd, I believe. I is, do. That will, that will that will be my 31st. Uh, will be the beginning of my 32nd year in front of the camera. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Crazy. <laughs> and or I as guess, they say these days, cray-cray. Yes, as the kids do say, cray-cray. <laughs> what do you wish, no, now going into your 32nd year, what do you wish you had known then that you do now? Oh, my God, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I wish that I had developed a better money management system, which had gotten help with my money issues. Um, uh, I wish I had gotten help with my, with my issues around money because I was earning a lot and I was um, engaging in financial self-abuse. Um, 
and that was sort of sucky. It was a bad idea, but I did it anyway. I wish that I had um, been able to leave my first marriage sooner um, because that was a big problem for me. Um, I wish that I had taken a more interest in the business aspect of what I did as opposed to merely the creative aspects of it. So I wish I learned about lighting and video editing and those kinds of things. I wish I had more technical skill sets uh, because nowadays people, you know, performers are self-employed companies of their own. So the more that mm-hmm. individual people know about um, how to shoot video, how to edit video, how to light video, um, the less they need to rely on somebody else and the more money they can generate and keep for themselves. So mainly my, biggest, my two biggest um, regrets are not learning better about business. That, that was a, like, oh, darn, I should have just... I should have just taken more advantage of the fact that I had was self-employed, but I wasn't raised to be an entrepreneur, so I, I was coming from behind the curve there. And I wish that I had been able to put into action sooner my understandings about personal responsibility and relationships and, and not stay in a bad marriage for as long as I did, um, because I did. Uh, it was, you know, so lots of people have bad first marriages, including me. Uh, my one now is very good, but the one then was really... Piece of cake, <laughs> a piece of piece of work actually was well, not a piece of cake. Ah, the piece of the poison <laughs> pill. Um, uh, but I'm not sorry I picked porn. I'm just sorry I didn't do more business stuff in it within it. Um, I like what I do. I like the I like that it is sex. I like that it is public. I like that it is um, uh, uh, performance. I like that I get to talk about sex and think about sex. Um, the way that I do, um, I'm very grateful for that. Now, we've seen a lot of people come into this industry quickly fizzle out. i got two questions here in regards to all of this. One, what would be your best advice to people who are getting into this business? And then I guess number two, what would you say or what would you credit to your longevity in this industry? Um, the second answer first, I credit – uh, I credit my longevity in the industry to the fact that I love the base. I love the basic topic. Sex is interesting to me, and I was considered pretty enough for porn, and I was exhibitionistic enough to be a professional that I got to actually make porn instead of study porn. You know, if I had not uh, made porn, I would have been a nurse midwife with a very active social life because the bisexual part and the queer part and the kiki part that would have still been correct. That 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 that's part of my nature. But I'm exhibitionistic enough that a camera is a good idea for me. I'm lucky for that, and that I'm considered pretty enough that people want to watch my body uh, do what I do. Yay! Uh, so depending on why you come, depending on why you are here, is going to uh, make a big difference on whether or not you enjoy your time here and whether or not it's healthy for you. So when people are coming into the business, what I tell them is, what I tell them is. Um, here, well, I'll give you my one-minute mother hen lecture because right, I have a one-minute. Hang on, I got to put you on speakerphone. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, good. So, what I tell people, uh, the one-minute mother hen lecture, me 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 me. The one-minute mother hen lecture is: know why you are here and own it. Do not do anything on camera for money that you do not do at home for free and for fun. Um, have a plan for after. Get straight with your money bullshit. Just handle your money stuff, um, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. Do not 
um, date anybody without a job, a car, and a place to live. Uh, do not put up with anybody in your personal life who shames you for what you do. The first time an intimate partner uses your job against you in an argument, that person has to go now. They have to go, go, go right now uh, because that is their true self, and you can't let them. You cannot let them give. You cannot give them another chance to say uh, hurtful, horrible, mean, or or lies about you to your face. Um, uh, oh, and they don't do anything. You don't do anything at home that you don't do on camera. Don't do anything on camera. They don't do at home. That goes triple for anal. If you don't do anal, don't do anal. If you don't do girls, don't do girls. Um, it is a, many women have tried things for the first time on camera because part of they feel they feel safe doing it. Um, it is a they feel safe because there's an audience, et cetera, et cetera. And some women do push themselves. Um, push themselves in a performance the way they would not do in their private life. But if you are a thrill-seeking young woman, and many women who make porn are definitely thrill-seeking young women, I urge them very much to find a way to get that itch scratched without a camera present. Can they do it? Can they, can, can they get the same itch scratched out a permanent record? Because porn is permanent. 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 There is no going back from porn. So if you are determined to do porn, then I tell them, okay, then can you start with camming, start with solo girl, because that is easier to take back and it's probably not going to come bite you in the butt. Um, but the more you do on camera, the less you can take it back, and the, and the more it can come back and bite your ass. That's all. Um, and so I just recommend, you know, that you understand what, why do I want to make porn, what, what about it appeals to me, and is there any other way I can get that jolly? Any other way, um, and there might be. You might just need to be a swimmer. You might just need to be a kinky person with a regular job that is that you can that you can take places. But once you create a permanent record, permanent record of sex, that just starts, the more you do, the more stores are close to you in the future. Um, and that I don't think is going to change anytime soon. Um, and but once you're here, enjoy the heck out of it because you get to be your own boss. You get to um, you get to experiment with sex in a way that pays your rent and without having to date anybody. I love that about porn. That it's not about it's not about dating anybody. It's about coming to work and having a good time and then going home. No harm, no foul. I personally dig that a lot. One of the things I always liked about porn. Uh, but it is. It is, relatively speaking, a safe place to be. If you make commercial porn, people are going to be tested. You're going to have, you know, you know, it is not, it's not physically a dangerous place to be, but it can be, danger is not always physical. Um, and if you have any issues about, if, you, if you're doing porn in order to feel sexy or feel pretty, find a different way because the porn is part of the entertainment business. And the entertainment, and the entertainment business is exploitative. So porn is not more exploitative than other forms of labor, but it is exploitative in the way that entertainment is exploitative. So what the and I live in L.A., which is a home of the entertainment business, and what entertainment business does, it takes young people who need validation and approval and finds new ways to humiliate them every single day. So it's really porn. If you have a weak sense of yourself, if you have a um, if you have low self-esteem, if you have um, issues with Body image porn is probably not a good place for you 
um, partner porn. Now, solo porn might be because that's you and your body and a camera and, and an audience, and so that might be a good way to reclaim some of your sexual sexuality. But once you start adding people to the picture, it can be very overwhelming. Um, this is not to say that plenty of women don't have a good time here and they come in at 18, 19, and they're fierce creatures. And it's like, you go, girl. I could not do that at 18, but you go. But just because a person chooses to do porn doesn't mean it's going to be the best thing for them. And the hardest thing as a feminist is giving women both the benefit of my experience and the respect for them to make their own mistakes and to fall down on their own and not try to save them. Because that is, again, infantilizing women, which is not a good idea. And just because a woman does not, just because a woman is not having a good time does not mean she didn't choose to be there and didn't have a lesson to learn there. Um, and that's why I say don't do anything on camera, you don't do it home for free, because if you try something new on camera and you don't like it, you get paid once, and they're going to make money on your bad day forever. Yeah. So make sure that you do things on camera that you at least like, with people you at least like. That way the exploitation of labor, all labor is exploited because that's the nature of capitalism. You know, um, you pay as little as you can for the product, and you sell it for as much as you can, and the difference between what I paid for it, what I sell it for is called profit, and profit is made on the backs of the worker and also um, fleecing the public. So it's really important that people understand that, yes, they are using it's physical labor um, that they are providing um, of, a, of, a, of a sexual nature, and because sex behavior is so intimately tied to our feelings about ourselves, it is very important and very useful and recommended that um, the things you do on camera are things that at least give you pleasure. Uh, because then I go home at work, I go home from a day at work, and I've never, I, I, I hardly ever come home in a bad mood because I didn't hate, I liked what I did, you know. <laughs> I mean, I may not have chosen to do it on the hay bale at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, but once I got there, what I did are things I liked. And who I work with are people I like. So I never have a bad day at work. I can have a long day at work, I can have an annoying day at work, I can have a frustrating day at work, but I'm not going to have a bad day where I'm trying to do something that I really don't like very much, but the money is so good. Of all the things, of all the kinds of labor to do just for the money, sex labor is a really bad thing to do just for the money, unless you're also kinky, queer, weird, whatever, because it does, it is soul-sucking, because a lot of people are very conflicted about sex. So if I'm conflicted about sex, and I take money for sex, it's going to cause a psychological backlash in myself. So that's why it's really important to only do things on camera that you basically like anyway. Um, silly. And, and just have that be a limit. I was going to say, I have a silly question here. Now, for a lot of people who I usually talk to, they say they don't, they, while they do adult entertainment, they don't like to watch it. <laughs> so in this question to you, I'm going to ask, do you actually ever get a chance to watch anything? And if so, who are some of your favorite performers? Um, I don't watch a lot of porn. Um, as a professional, I'm just, I can just tell, oh, that was a 2 a.m. scene where everyone was been there 12 hours and exhausted. Um, I can see the scenes are done by the numbers. And most porn sex I don't find very sexy because, again, as a professional, I can just see where I can see where the strain is and where the edges are and how what's over the top and what's acting and all that. Um, most people don't get to see a lot of sex. I, I, I have sex for professions. I've had a lot of sex in person. So I am a really discerning consumer of adult entertainment. But my preferred uh, pornography is illustrated pornography. 
uh, individual images. Um, I'm kinky, and so a lot of the images I look at are, you know, BDSM-oriented, and some of them are quite extreme. But what I like about it is that um, the pixels, no one's being hurt. I don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, the, the poor girl's, the poor girl's shoulders um, are, are hurt. And I get that drawing, it doesn't matter. Um, so I don't, I don't watch a lot of video porn. There's some that I like, I'm sure, but I don't seek it out. I don't spend a lot of time perusing it or looking for it. It's now, the best man's holiday, I guess. Now, I was going to say, you, you quickly mentioned something there, and I, and I love the segue on this. Now, your husband, Ernest Green, who he has a new book out, and correct me if I'm wrong, and it's called The Illustrated Master of O., uh, which well, there's, is, there's, there's, there's Master of O, which is a which is a which is a a novel he wrote. Um, it, uh, it's the story of O as told from the other side of the whip, um, and brought into modern day Los Angeles. It's a fabulous, fun, sexy read. I can say all the sex guaranteed taken from life. Um, it is a fantasy. It is a fiction book, but all the people are taken from real people that he knows, and so the characterizations are very three dimensional and fabulous. And there is also a limited edition, illustrated version also available. Um, the ebook, the paperback, and the illustrated version are all available at masterofo.com. And the illustrated version um, has the added benefit of being uh, signed by the author, which is pretty great. Um, highly recommended. Um, it's a hot read. Even a, one of the one fan says, I'm not even kinky and I like it. So that's always nice. Uh, because very little, very little, very little pornography is written from the talking about the emotional reality of the male, the the, the male character. It's all the BDSM porn is almost always about the tied up girl, which is you know that's the person to, to whom things happen. But there's a lot going on emotionally um, with dominant man that never gets talked about um, because it's. You know, they just it never does. And uh, so my husband is very good at talking about feelings and emotions, uh, and he nails it. It's a great book. And if you like really wonderful, dirty art uh, drawings, um, highly recommended <laughs> that uh, you get the illustrated version. It's really, really good. And of course, so yes, once again, I, that's it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and I was going to say, once again, that's at masterofo.com. And also here it's at stockroom.com as well. Yes, um, yes. So, yes, so you can find that definitely in those two places. And and i got so many questions here, and I, and I know your time is... No, <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's okay. It's all good. I'm parked safely at home, um, and we can talk for as long as you need to. I do appreciate that. I, I feel here. I, I'll need to like bring you back, or if you got dinner or something going on, I don't, I don't know. What this no, it's only, it's, um, it's, it's only quarter to five out here, so it's not even dinner time. Yeah, see, not even dinner time. Gotta love it. But um, so we talked about those two things, and I guess too in regards to um, in the industry here, you have worked with so many people over the years. But is there anyone that you haven't worked with? that you'd still like to? Oh, sure. I like to work with Jesse Jane, but that's not going to happen. I like to work with Asa Akira, but that's not going to happen. Um, I like to work with Casey Calvert. I would like to work with, um, oh, I don't know a lot of the new names, honestly. Uh, Carter Cruz, I think her name is. Um, I'm, in, I'm more interested in working with people who want to work with me, um, honestly. Because they're all, you know, the, the older I get, the younger they are, and 
younger than 25, they all look alike. They're just all adorable. <laughs> I would like, I would like, like, I like working with Jade Nile. Jade liked the stone. Nile liked the river. Um, she seems like an appealing young person. I really liked her. I like uh, Charlie Piper. Um, she is a sly and seductive person. I, and she's also a personal friend. I love her. Um, so I like working with anybody who wants to work with me because that is the first, the first rule of good sex is mutual intention. And once that's taken care of, then the behavior is just up for negotiation, what we do today. So if the person wants to be with me, I probably want to be with the person. Because I'm happen. easy that way. I guess I'm, 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 I'm easy this way. I want to start figuring out a way to do, um, to, you know, I'm not going to do a fuck a fan, but, um, because that's just too much pressure on everybody, but the hand job a fan would be something, you know, so for me, just a, a, a series of guys that are draped from the waist up so they have anonymity but are available, but are, but are, um, uh, looking for the word, um, you know, <clears throat> available from the waist down, um, that's, that's a, a, version, a version of a glory hole that I find very sexy. And, and while it's not meant to be the guy's best fantasy, um, uh, it certainly would be fun for me in a way to, you know, to do quite a be with Nina Hartley without having to worry about all the other things that happen with porn. Um, hmm. But, yes, handjobs are awesome. I, I, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, would, I would like to, I, I, I like handjobs. I like playing with boy bits. And the, the, old, the more... The more porn I make, the less my vulva has to be involved for me to have a good time. Um, I have a wonderful lover at home, my husband, and so that completely, you know, what works for me. Um, and the rest of the time, I'm more interested in getting my hands, my face, and my mind in there. And uh, and having my uh, vulva involved is honestly irrelevant. People find that odd, but they haven't had as much sex as I've had. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said something once about uh, uh, a class or uh, I think something that you taught uh, vulva whispering or something. Like that. Vulva, vulva, vulva whispering, yes. Yes. Well, vulva is a pretty amazing. People, people are listening to this can go to funnyordie.com and look up the ejaculation, just like it sounds. V a j a c u l a t i o n. Ejaculation, um, and it's a great like a three or four minute clip by. Um, Jill Soloway of uh, Transparent Fame, and it's uh, it's a lot. It's a great little video um, that talks about uh, female pleasure, and more importantly, puts on puts on the screen a diagram of the entire uh, uh, vaginal vulval VCBC, vaginal. Hang on, VCBC, vaginal clitoral vulval complex the BCBC, vaginal clitoral vulval complex, which basically basically is that a woman's internal erectile tissue is about equal to a man's external erectile tissue. Um, and so, you know, men get hard on and women get hard in, <laughs> um, for lack of a better word. And, uh, and so once you learn how to properly appreciate the vulva and then properly approach the vulva um, with the might right mix of desire and reverence, um, most vulvas then will become more easily available for you. Uh, because the vulva, you know, one thing that I don't like about porn, because in our culture being erotophobic and sex negative, et cetera, et cetera, um, we, have no, we have no nationwide effective sex education. Um, 
that is age-appropriate, uses the correct language, based in science, and value-neutral. Um, we allow each school system to decide how it's going to teach, quote-unquote, sex education. And so that's a fiasco in this country. Fiasco. Um, and so most porn is, of course, about getting the penis into the vagina. Um, and you don't see a lot of cunnilingus in straight porn anymore. You don't see um, a, you, you don't see it very often. And so a lot of people. That's why a lot of and a lot of young men. Of course, they are young and they're inexperienced. Already, they're going to be clumsy. They are in a wash of hormone haze. They're already that could make them even clumsier and more urgent and less able to tune into their partners because they're new at this too. So you have two young people fumbling around. And all they know is that something has to go in somewhere else for sex to have happened, as opposed to let's make pleasure and intimacy and emotional security the basis around which we build sex, as opposed to I have to get something in something. He's going to get something in me. I have to allow him to get in me or we haven't had sex. And I just, I just, and that's still super, super common. So I want to see, I tell guys, it's like, anatomically modern humans have been around for about half of a million years, meaning that the vaginal opening is in the same place it's always been. It's not moving. And the difference between a woman tolerating penetration and craving penetration is 15 minutes of proper attention. So if you, as someone who wants to be around vulvas, cannot find ways to have fun with that 15 minutes, better if it's 20 or 30, if you cannot find something else to do for that time that encourages her to want you to penetrate her, you are not tall enough to be on this ride. Hmm. And it really is as simple as that. If, if you're not mature enough to calm the fuck down and get her on board with your action, get her on board with your plan, get her actually eagerly involved, and yes, I want it too, then you don't deserve a partner yet. That's all. So most young men, um, if they know that they're horny that way, before a date, they need to masturbate before a date. And a, a really good one, too, not just a quick pop-off, you know, a good 20-minute, like, yeah, really get, and, and so they can start the date relaxed and clear-eyed um, as opposed to already past the point of no return because if I feel that you're just, you know, not paying attention to me, you're never going to get anything from me and then I'm going to be a bitch and then you go, ah, la, 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 la. So everyone is responsible for their own sexual pleasure. No one gives me an orgasm. My job, your job is not to give me an orgasm. Your job is to help me find my own orgasm. My job is to help you find your orgasm. But orgasm is at its most primal. It's a very selfish, self-centered moment. Um, in a loving, mutual relationship, the getting of orgasm can also be an incredibly intimate moment, a bonding moment, a moment of deep um, connection, an affirmation of our commitment to each other. It could be all other kinds of things. But it also is a spinal cord reflex that is completely different for every person. And at that moment, I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for me. You know, if a guy whispers in my ear, ooh, baby, come for me, it's like, get the fuck out of my ear. What are you doing here? But, <laughs> ooh, baby, that's hot, or, oh, baby, that's so pretty, that can work. Um, and so people, if, if, if I'm, you and I are together and you don't have an orgasm, I don't feel bad that I could not give you an orgasm. I I chalk it up to, okay, first-time jitters, the guy talked himself out of it because I need a fucking Hartley, he had one too many drink, you know, wh- whatever. Um, but there's, but in, there's, your orgasm is not 
from my ego. Your orgasm is for your pleasure. And my ego is more involved in can I make it safe enough for my partner to go find their orgasm. That's when I've done a good job. And uh, But sometimes, no matter how good I am, a guy has to take my hand off his dick and touch it himself for that last 30 seconds because sometimes you just need exactly what it is you need. And you, and I can't do it, and you can't do it for me. I have to handle my clit over the goal post, uh, over the goal line. Some guys have to handle their own penis over the goal line, and that's okay. Um, there's no right way for sex to be as long as it is not hurting anybody, as long as you did not get it through false pretenses or the use of drugs or other intoxicants to get their you know, acquiescence. Consent no. is not the absence of no. It's a statement of mutual intention. We, I want to go here with you today. What do you say? And you say, I don't want to go all the way in the line, but I'll, stop, I'll, I'll go as far as Peoria, and you can go on to Chicago by yourself. It's like, okay, let's go to Peoria, you know, whatever that is. And that's hard for people to do because our culture makes, if sex is spontaneous and romantic and passionate, then either you're a cad for planning it or I'm a slut for planning it. Okay, now we're back to that. So if I... On one hand, I'm told as a woman to protect yourself. Make sure you have condoms and lube in your purse. And then you have condoms and you're planning on it, you slut. And then so if a person thinks that I'm a slut, then they get to slut shame me and they get to disrespect me because sluts don't deserve respect because the culture does not respect women who plan to be safe during sex. And so then you have that back and forth. So it's very difficult for individual people to stand up and be strong against this kind of bullshit that comes back at them. But it is essential that we as individuals do our personal work so that we can stand up against that and make sure that we protect ourselves and those that we love. Um, and two steps forward, one step back when it comes of course, to that. Nina, and, of course, Nina has a lot of instructional videos that are out there under her guides on how-to. And, of course, you can find all of that as well through your website, nina.com. And I, and I want to mm-hmm. mention it, too, while we're on here. Nina Land on Twitter, you can follow her there, too. But uh, there's a lot of instructional guides. I even saw one. I don't know if it was one of yours, but I remember a few years ago, and I learned so much from it. it was, <laughs> I think it was uh, – I'm trying to remember it now. It was a scene that you did – not it wasn't a scene, but it was actually an instructional scene that you did with, with Sunny Lane. With Sunny Lane? Because Patty yes. Pussy Like a Pro. Yeah, that's a great yes. one. That was my, one, of my better, one of my better attempts. She is a wonderful partner. And she's orgasmic, and she's cute, and she's smart, and she can talk, and she has a pretty cookie, and that was a lot of fun that day. That that was an awesome scene. If you have not seen that, you will learn so much from that, and you will be thankful that you watched that. I actually did watch that, and that, I actually learned more out of that one because there, there's so many things that you think. Like a lot of guys, I think a lot of it comes from, like you said, or for a lot of women, from both ends. A lot of it comes from inexperience, and you know they just don't know. But you know. Nina taught me that girls, when it comes to, you know, down there, they're sturdy. They're not delicate. It's it's one of those things where you you pick up so much. And I don't know why this is not being taught on college campuses somewhere. But if there's any well, I, I believe me, I'd be you know I would love to, I love to I would love to do that uh, to talk on co- college campuses more um, because it's really it's really um, it's really important. This is really important information that people need to have and we don't give it to them. Um, again, you know, so in, in porn, the vulva is all about the hole, um, i.e. the opening, i.e. the actual vaginal canal and the clitoris, which is actually where all women's sexual pleasure lies, the same way men's sexual pleasure lies with their penises. Um, a phallus is a phallus is a phallus. 
So a female phallus is an inch long and a male phallus is five to eight inches long, but still got a shaft, a gland, a corona, a frenum. Um, if the man is intact, it's going to have a foreskin. I mean, the same bits, and it touches the same part of the brain. Uh, just, you know, men have very large clits and women have very small penises, but it's all the same. So once men understand, once people understand that a clitoris is not a button, but it's a fully three-dimensional phallus, then they will um, be able to look at it differently. So here, so people now get to use a thought experiment. Okay, so if, if you're driving, you can't do this, but now if you're home alone, so if you are someone who likes to have sex with women um, and imagine yourself coming up behind them and huggy-huggy and kissy-kissy, and, you, and you're at a place in the relationship where your hands are permitted to go down her pants. Uh, down the front of her body. So if you at home take uh, your dominant hand, right, right, right left hand, and you're going to reach around from the back of your head and you're going to place your two middle fingers on either side of the bridge of your nose so that you can feel your fingers are touching each other, the two middle fingers are touching, and you put your fingers and you right at the top of your nose where your brow ridge is and you can place and feel the bone of your nose between your fingers. So in your imagination, imagine the brow bone is her pubic bone, and you are you know, your nose bone is the shaft of her clit. So when you get your hands down between her legs and you get in the top of her cleft, where you can feel her pubic bone, and you wiggle in there, and you'll and your fingers will fall on either side of the little ridge. That is the shaft of her clit. So you can now jerk her off just by wiggling your fingers back and forth like a half an inch. That's usually a full jerk. You can keep your left, uh, you can keep one finger sturdy and move the other finger. You can wiggle it back and forth. You can do them both together. Um, and that is an effective stroke. Um, if you continue sliding fingers down the shaft of her clit, you're going to find the head of her um, clitoris. And you can sort of like rub on that, keeping the hood of the clitoris over it. You don't want to pull it back too concretely. Um, or one of my favorite things to do is get your fingers in that space where you are cupping her pubic bone and feeling the shaft of her clit. And just bend your finger a little bit and so like you're trying to pull up on her vulva. And then whisper in her ear, ooh, baby, squeeze your muscles, do your kegels. And when you apply tension to the front of her vulva, pulling her clit tight, and she pulled her pelvic muscles tight by squeezing them, she will masturbate herself, and you all you have to do is just be still and let her do it. This is why Kegel exercises are really important for sexual pleasure, because the stronger your pelvic floor muscles, the greater orgasmic control you're going to have, the stronger your orgasms are going to be, and the more you can play around with how pleasure moves through your body. So um, strong Kegels, just like a strong abs help your back, strong Kegels help your, um, your orgasm. It's really important. Uh, that's one of my favorite things to do is just get my fingers at the top of her cleft and pull tight and then have her do her kegels and then she starts giggling. It's like, that's what I thought. Um, in general, with women, you supply pressure, let her supply movement. Um, most people do too much to a clit as opposed to finding something that works um, and sticking with it. So another thing to think about it, um, oh, my gosh, Strayhorn. He's, uh, I think, on Good Morning America now. But yes. you, know, you think about think about his his gap tooth. So mm -hmm. when you are going down on a woman, or using your or remember that game they teach when you're younger and you're really little and your uncle says, "Got your nose, I got your nose," and they, yeah. and they pinch your nose with their knuckles and they have their thumb because I got your nose. Well, if you are facing her 
um, rather a really effective way to stroke her clitoris is to bend your bend your um, two fingers on your dominant hand and stroke either side of her clitoral shaft as if you were a gap-toothed person with your mouth on her. And again, that is um, a lovely, calm, easy stroke to do that you can and you do that while you're talking about how pretty she is and just, you know, it's a nice, friendly, how do you do, how do you do kind of thing. Is that why Another great, two uh, people are seen as sexual? <laughs> um, I don't know, but that certainly, that certainly, you know, if the gap is wide enough for the shaft of her clit to, um, to fit nicely, then that, that, that's, that's eight parts of oral sex already, already taken off your, take, taken up by you. Um, it's excellent. So, um, the, and then another thing I do, I, I call it, I call it painting the fence. Um, but vulvas like to be handled firmly. Some of them even like to be handled roughly, but none of them like to be handled stupidly. So mm. if I come up to a woman behind and I slap my hand on her vulva, I'm always careful that my two middle fingers on either side of her cleft. So I'm slapping it. I'm also digging into the muscle between her pubic bone and her butt. So all that space between her pubic bone and her butt is all, that's where, again, you're going to, be able to massage the opening. The longer you can st- avoid touching the opening, but I press around it, I will run my hand from the top of her cleft down over the labia and to the spot between her butt and her pussy called the perineum or the taint. And I'll just, you know, I do it in counts of four. One, two, three, four. So you start at one where your fingertips are touching at the top of her cleft and you using lube or whatever, you're going to depress and pull in such a way that at the count of four, your single will now be touching at the bottom of her vulva. And you do this because it just takes a minute for the sensation to enter her brain. You want her body moving with you. If she's stiffening up and pushing, pulling away, you're going too hard or too fast. If she's relaxing and pushing into you, you're doing it correctly. And so I, so I will just massage her very firmly and when you when there's no bone you can really dig into that spot between her ass and her pussy and it's like you're trying to invert her vaginal canal but you're not touching it don't touch it yet and you do that and you're kissing and you're rubbing your torso on her vulva and she's humping your chest and kissy 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 and you're and you're just pinching and pulling on her lips the way you would like your nutsack played with don't forget that the the external lips the outer lips, labia majora, the furry lips, those are analogous to a guy's nutsack. So you know how you like to play with your nutsack on a hot day? You can tug on it and pull on it. Vulvas like that too. So you can pull on her lips. And if you pull on her lips, you'll see her clit move. And every time her clit moves, she can feel that. So just work on the placement of your thumb and your finger. Where does the pinch start? You use all day long. I also like to place my fingers at her pubic bone, place my thumbs at the uh, bottom of her vaginal opening and then on a count of four dig my thumb deeply as I drag it up meet my fingers pinch and then pull the flesh off of the pubic bone in a four count and I let it go so one two three tug out and then she tugs as you tug out she does her kegels that's a lovely sensation so the the conversation with vulva any genitals goes like this when their kegels are relaxed you supply pressure when the kegels tense up, stop moving. When they relax, continue moving. When they clench up, stop moving. Because, and that's a conversation that when I feel your hand paying attention to my kegels, that lets me know, oh, my part is paying attention. I can relax. I can have a good time. 
And when you feel my Kegels, then you can say, oh, good, I can tell that I'm being effective. I'm making connection here. I'm getting to understand that, okay, now she probably likes some penetration. I still always ask um, and because, you know, oh, asking before you do the new thing, that is so unromantic. But if you've, if you've created the right energy and the right atmosphere in the makeout session, you'll know the answer is yes, it's still good to ask. Ooh, I'd love to put some fingers in you. Is that okay? And she'll say yes or no. You know, and if it's no, keep working. If it's yes, aha, this is good. Um, you know, I, and so before you do something that seems like a good idea, ask first. You know, she'll probably say yes if you made her feel safe. If you make a woman feel safe and beautiful, you can have a lot of fun with her. But she has to be safe. You cannot fake safe it. She has to actually be safe from you. So you cannot lie to women to get them to have sex with you. You cannot get them almost all the way there and then flip the switch and then turn into an asshole because that's just not okay. You know, bad boy, no pussy. Um, and that and that goes and that then the genitals can be reversed. So if I have geni- male genitals in my hand, I'm equally nice to them. I'm equally sweet to them because I like them too. And I will, you know, touch him in a way and I'll ask him to do his kegels and have that conversation. And and if a man feels safe and wanted, his bits will come out to play. You cannot. You can. I cannot. You cannot make someone turned on. You can help them become turned on. You cannot make a man get hard. You can let him know it's safe for him to come out and play and that his penis is indeed wanted and that hard is okay. Because a vagina can lie. I can I can lie back and let a man have intercourse with me and be completely not involved in this emotionally. A man always has to be somewhat involved emotionally with the moment or he will not get hard. Men's penises are attached to their emotions, um, or at least their lust. But lust is an emotion. It's it's pretty limited, but it's still there. Um, my yeah. friend Richard Pacheco once said, when terror outweighs desire, the penis is asleep. And as soon as desire outweighs terror, he can come out and play. So my job, if I want sex with a man, my job as someone who wants sex with this male person is I have to make him safe and calm enough for his penis to come out and play. And because I'm Nino Hartley, a lot of people mindfuck themselves when they get to be with me and their poor penises don't know what to do. Um, Because all of a sudden, instead of being able to see me as an individual human, of course, the man often has, um, is is putting himself up against professional male performers and, of course, is going to find himself falling short, thinking that the sex I have off camera, someone has to be like the sex... I have on camera, and I want to tell every man listening: there's daily dick and special occasion cock, and the difference is six inches in my day rate. So for my daily dick, I like five and a half to six and a half inches. I can do seven, but then we're getting on the biggest side. And speaking as a woman who likes to have sex with men and women. You know, guys, how you hate it when you get a girl home and the first thing she does when you're half naked is start apologizing for her body or making or asking for needing compliments about her body or saying, oh, my gosh, making negative comments about her body and how you hate that. Well, women who want to be with men hate it when the first thing a guy does is apologize about their genitals. Please don't do that. My job, is, my job as a lover is to become okay with my body on my terms and my timeline, and then take that into dating. Everyone's job is to make peace with their body the way that it is. 
that's the size of my breast, the size of my genitals, the size of my ass, whatever, and to find a way to, to, to let myself have fun in spite of what I might see as flaws because most people are like, oh, my gosh, there's a naked lady in my bed, woohoo! and then I'm not looking at that. And when you're hugging somebody, all they can see are your tits and your face anyway. It's really okay. So um, don't apologize for your penis, the size of it. I'm a professional. I can have fun with anybody. Anybody, anybody, I can ask someone that person because I'm good that way. Um, and it's more important for me, not the size of my partner's package, but how does he experience pleasure? Does he let himself have a good time? Is he a good kisser? Do I like the way his hands feel? Does he have a good control of his sexual energy? Do I feel like I can relax with this person? It's not about his penis size. We have toys for that. We have dicks for that. We have we have dildos. We have fingers. If I can get a woman off of two fingers in my mouth, no penis is quote unquote too small because you have other body parts. Who says that my orgasms have to come from your penis? Oh right, the culture. Well no. Our orgasms come how they come. My orgasm may come from your mouth. Your orgasm may come from my hand. We both had an orgasm. Woohoo! Good for us. Yay, us. Um, and I don't want to risk pregnancy. We don't have any condoms. Who says we need intercourse? I want to share a good time with somebody. And I'd much rather give a guy a hand job and make out and have hot, passionate hands on my boobies than some poor guy struggling with a condom and, and self-doubt and worry that his penis is somehow not big enough for me and and then not having an erection because the fear and the condom and the performance anxiety all gain, gang up on him and make his dick go, you know what, I'm done here. So yeah. for me, sex is not intercourse-centric. It is, hi, we're naked together. What can we do today and have fun and be safe? That's sex to me. And anyone can have that kind of sex life if they just dare admit that that's what they want. I wish everybody thought that way. <laughs> now, you but that's why I'm have... talking to you, and that's why we're on Blog Talk Radio, and that's why uh, hopefully this gets out there. And when we're done here, please um, email me a link so I can tweet about it. Yes, I sure will. And actually, I'm, I'm going to be tweeting about this shortly after we're done as well, and I'm going to definitely email you that. And one of the things, too, is that you have given a lot of uh, lessons in your lectures across the U.S. and abroad. What is the one thing that you are still surprised about that people still have questions on or are really unsure about? I read a you know a few years ago I read a study where they said people still didn't even know really how to pro- properly put on a condom. What still surprises exactly. you about sex and the questions that people have out there? What still gets me about sex is how many questions are predicated with how can I get my partner to dot dot dot. Um, and so the idea that we get our partners to do a thing as opposed to um, agree above board that we're going to try to go there, that, that, that bothers me. How do I get my partner to take it up the ass? And then the, out of that, how do I get my partner to take it up the ass? Almost always is a male-bodied person talking about a female-bodied partner. How do mm-hmm. I get my girlfriend to take it up the ass? And setting aside for the point that assholes are very democratic, everybody has one, and everybody should make friends with their own, the idea that somehow, again, sex is something men get from women, that women are giving up sex, that still makes it a win-lose, instead of a, instead of a mutually, instead of a win-win situation, the idea of I get my partner to as a win-lose situation. So uh, that's, I'm still shocked to hear about that. How do I get my partner to suck my dick? How do I get my partner to let me put my dick in her ass? How do I get my partner to try threesome? Um, and 
for women, it's how do I get my partner to slow down? How do I get my partner to, to um, you know, be more romantic? And and then a subset of that, of course, is, is, is learning how to put on condoms. So what I recommend to all male-bodied people out there who want to have sex is that, again, getting okay, learning to fine-tune the Lamborghini that is your body, that is my job. My job is to be my own best mechanic is to explore my sexuality, explore my fantasies when I'm alone, explore my body, understand what does make my butt happy, what does make my vulva happy, what does make my clit happy. Okay, now I know. So when I'm with you, I can say a little more of the left. Oh, I like it harder because I know that I like it harder and this will work. And if you do this a bit longer, it's going to work because I know as opposed to, I don't know, keep trying maybe, I don't know. And who wants to be the partner who goes, I don't know. You want a partner who, who, you want a partner who can help you help them. That makes that mean I, I get to have fun, you get to have mastery, you get to learn a new skill, I get to have a good time, you feel wanted and effective, and we're going to probably do this again. Uh, so the condom thing is er, condoms come in many, many, many shapes and sizes these days. So I recommend to every male-bodied person, um, first be, be realistic about how big you are when you're hard. And they, there are condoms come in all sizes. If a guy is have a narrower shaft and or is shorter than um, six inches when erect, there are two brands. One is called Snugger Fit and one is called Iron Grip. And those are for guys with thinner shafts um, that feel uncomfortable with regular condoms because they feel baggy or, or, slip, or they slip off a lot. All the way to Super Jumbo. Um, and they have tight heads, they have pouched heads, they have spiral heads, they have nubs, they are made of non-latex, they're made of latex, they're thicker, they're thinner. Your job as a man, not you personally, LeVar, but men in general, a man's job is to find the brand of condom that he hates the least and that fits the best and make sure that he has that brand with him. Ditto his favorite lube. I like silicone-based lube because it doesn't get dry or tacky, but everyone's different that way. Secondly, um, I recommend that he first, when he masturbates, that he teach himself orgasm control. There's a really great book by Mantak Chia, M-A-N-T-A-K, last name Chia, C-H-I-A, and several other guys, but it's called The Multi-Orgasmic Man. Even a person, a man doing this exercises in this book um, may not develop multi-orgasmic ability because not everyone can do this, but... I guarantee you that a person doing the exercises in this book will gain a lot more orgasm control and penile control. So if I'm with a man, for what, what separates the man from the boys is not just how well he manipulates my vulva, but also how much cock control does he have? How, much, how, how can he serve his pleasure? How can he hold off on orgasm until he's had more pleasure than he, than he can stand at that moment and his partner is satisfied? So you know, there's a guy that goes off at the first, notion of a breast and there's a guy who could just hang back and really work things up to a good session so um that is every man's individual job is to make peace with his own pleasure cycle and to learn how to really work it surf it then brownie points for doing that with a condom so he because his so his penis can get used to hand on skin friction and condom on skin friction then Extra brownie point is when you're hard and turned on, that's when you practice putting on condoms, unwrapping the package, pinching the tip, and unrolling it so you feel smooth. You know, so practice, you get five or six condoms in different different brands, different shapes, whatever. You line them up, 
unopened. You get your good jerk on, you get going on, and then just practice opening a package properly and rolling it properly and putting it on, taking it off. And this may take a dozen masturbation sessions or more until you have found the right combination of lube and condom and feel completely comfortable putting them on and taking them off. Um, because, A, ladies like it when you say, hold that thought, your dick is still hard, you put on a condom, boom, boom, and you're back to business, opposed to fumble, fumble, fuck. And this, and don't forget that, make sure that you understand how they unroll, because if you open a condom and put it on, it's inside out, but you've already touched your dick to it, got to throw it out, open another condom. You cannot just turn it over and unroll it, because then the part of the condom that has touched you is technically contaminated, and what the fuck are you doing condom for anyway? So just learn how to, learn how to use a condom on your own time until they are smooth and second nature to you, and learn how to masturbate into a condom so that that is one less new sensation you have to deal with. Because when you're already with a woman, you have another body, another set of emotions in the room. You have to negotiate, and the less new things your penis has to handle the happier everyone's going to be. So if the penis goes, okay, I know this. I, I got this down. I love this condom. I don't, I don't hate this condom. And so the condom, you know, some guys do like condoms very much, but it's the condom that you hate the least, the one that you find the least annoying. And that's going to be a different brand for everybody, a different shape, a different size. Find that and make sure you always have them with you. That's your job, dude. Your job is if you want to get laid, your job is to show up with condoms and lube, preferably gloves and baby wipes, but at least condoms and lube. Because hey, and it is getting late, so I'm let you going to let you have the rest of your show to talk about whatever. Um, but do please, uh, when you tweet about it, I will retweet for you. And I had a great time, and we should do this I kn- again sometime. I, I know we we've got to do this again sometime because I, originally people she was only supposed to be here for thirty minutes, and we've gone so long, and I cannot thank you enough for coming. I had so many other questions. We will definitely do this again sometime. I guess real quick, okay. we're going to put you in the spot. We'll get- we will get say, through the, all your scene, questions. Yeah, and we're going to do that next time, too. Okay, absolutely. Never a problem. You have a wonderful day, Lamar, and a wonderful weekend, and uh, thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you so much, Nina, for coming by. <laughs> all right. You have a good day. All right, Nina. And that's Bye-bye. Nina Hartley, and you definitely want to follow Nina. She's over on Twitter, at Nina Land, and then, of course, on the web at Nina.com. And, of course, for her husband's book, The Master, Illustrated Master of O, a novel by Ernest Green, uh, you can find that one at masteroo.com and, of course, at stockroom.com. Um, what can I say? And, and I definitely have to thank Nina because normally on this show we have where people are on for, you know, 30 minutes. I told her 30 minutes. Nina was able to do this for well over an hour. So if you have not seen Nina out on the road or at a lecture, and I know she's mostly out there on the West Coast, if you have a chance to go out and see her, go and definitely see her. I cannot thank her enough. Hopefully we'll get her back again sometime soon. Uh, and like I said, I do apologize to her because normally I told her, 30, we've gone well over an hour, and I cannot thank her enough. So once again, thanks to Nina at Nina Land on Twitter, Nina.com on the web, and of course you can always follow us at BTR on Twitter. And, of course, our shows are always on iTunes, so this will be available as an iTunes podcast, and you can get it there for free. So with that, I thank, once again, my guest, the legend herself, Nina Hartley. And for all of you who are listening, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the 411 Lounge. (laughs) 